Welcome to the ECT podcast series, engaging with the researchers working on the long-term field experiments in ECT's national network. A very good morning from the Glyn Briani Stream Observatory Long-Term Experiment in Mid-Wales, where I'm visiting with Steve Ormerod, the Principal Investigator for this experiment from Cardiff University. A very good morning to you, Steve. Well, good morning, Ben, and a bit chilly up here in the hills this morning, but a uh, good place to be all the same. So. It is indeed. Thank you very much for hosting ECT here. Can you start by just describing the landscape we're in, where we are, a bit of background to the history of the long-term experiment here at Glimbriani. Okay, so we're uh, north of Llandovery uh, in the Cambrian Mountains. So Wales has these three masses, Brecon Beacons, Cambrian Mountains, Snowdonia. The Cambrian Mountains are in the middle and Llimbriani is pretty much at the heart of the Cambrian Mountains. So we're at the top end of the tower and we're looking down onto Llimbriani Dam, which was placed on the top end of the tower in 1969. Uh, this is a reservoir that regulates the flow of the tower. Water is stored here through the wetter seasons, released downstream in the tower, abstracted for essentially water supply in Swansea. Now this really interesting story behind when the dam went in in 1969, there were concerns that there would be impacts on the migratory run of sea trout into the river tower. Towie is famous for its rog catch of sea trout and certainly in the days when the dam went in, tens of thousands of sea trout were caught annually. The concern was around the loss of headwater spawning habitat behind where the dam now sits and a scheme was implemented called the trapping and trucking scheme through which upstream migrating fish, downstream migrating smolt, the, the, the seaward running fish, would be trapped, move round the dam in lorries, and essentially everything would be fine and dandy. It was discovered, however, that despite that scheme attempting to operate and sea trout fry being planted out upstream of the dam, no downstream running fish were ever caught, despite the expense that had gone in. That led to an investigation as to why those sea trout fry were, were never emerging, and it led to the discovery that upstream of Flinbriani Dam, we have a problem with acidification. So these are base poor rocks and soils, vulnerable to the effects of acidifying deposition, sulfur and nitric acids. And really, as a consequence of those investigations, the Flinbriani project was born. So having discovered that the local problem, which we thought was associated with acidification, in 1981, what was then the scientific directorate of Welsh Water, before privatisation, began an investigation in several of the streams, literally upstream of us here, some draining Conifer, some draining Moorland, and essentially that work illustrated how local land use, whether streams drain Conifer or open Moorland, 
actually influenced not only the degree to which the streams were acid, but also it affected the amount to which acidity arrived from the atmosphere via the conifer trees. So the conifer streams were essentially about half a unit more acid than the moorland streams. And that in turn led to a government funded investigation, Department of Environment as it then was, set up in those days what was called the Flinbriani Project. I helped to design that in the early 1980s and I then, in 1984, became responsible for all the biological investigations that until funding from government ceased in the early 1990s was operated in conjunction with National Rivers Authority and then from that time onwards the university has kept the project going. Great, so we'll head up to another part of the lake now and possibly talk about impacts in a moment. So we'll stop off and look at some of the catchments, look at how big they are, how they vary in size. We'll look at some of the instrumentation we've got in place and tell you a bit about the work that we've done to this point. Great. So we're now at one of the experimental catchments above the lake. Steve, do you want to say a little bit more about the experimental design before we talk about impacts? Because Limbrian has been going over 40 years now. So 1981, the origin one of the longest running catchment scale investigations in the world and we'll talk a bit as we go on about what we've progressed into doing but we're standing at a catchment called LI8 all our catchments have numbers they vary in size between about 17 hectares up to about 250 hectares and the basic design is that we have some that drain locally buffered calcareous streams but then two sets of acid streams that are either draining conifer forest and it's actively managed conifer forest or sheep graze moorland. LI8 here was young forest when we first acquired the site and set things up and you can see it's now gone through a complete forest rotation. So that's the basic design, these 14 catchments that vary in local soil type, local geology, land use pattern. And we were interested in investigating how that local land use effect either exacerbated or mitigated the effects of acidification. Some of the catchments were limed experimentally in the 1980s, but always to try and understand linkage between chemistry, uh, physical character, and of course the biological effects of acidification or whatever else we've been investigating downstream. We've now driven round to one of the four replicates artificial stream flow channels here at Limbriani. Steve, this is an amazing piece of experimental infrastructure. Do you want to just describe in more detail what this is? These are what we call the experimental cascades. We think they are the only cascading experimental streams anywhere in the world. And they go down through a series of steps, uh, three parallel stainless steel channels, about 20 metres long, scaled to be one-fifth the dimensions of the stream you can hear next to us. And the fact that there are three channels in four locations gives us the capacity to do replicate experiments, essentially accelerating global change effects or investigating phenomena that require experimental manipulation of some sort. We can run the channels either in flow-through mode where the water just passes down them 
or if we use a generator we can run them in an experimental uh, a recirculating mode and as an example of the recirculating mode we a few years ago with colleagues in Bangor University did experiments looking at the degradation of DNA, environmental DNA, which we spiked into the mesocosms and, and effectively looked at how long it took to degrade to the point that it was no longer detectable. But the ultimate aim of these is that the Briony piece of work began as an investigation of acidification. As it's progressed over its 40-year history, it's become an investigation of climate change effects. We've assessed the extent to which these streams have warmed. We've assessed the impacts on organisms, and in these channels we can accelerate global change effects on flow regimes, drought effects, flood effects, temperature variation. We haven't yet cracked, but we are trying to do that. All in the modern ecosystem services context. So another piece of work we did, the major question about the extent to which biodiversity delivers the kinds of things that we depend upon. We did uh, some experiments here looking at how the stream microbiota on the bed of the stream, the benthos, actually degraded dissolved organic carbon, which of course is a cost to the water industry, and we were trying to find out the extent to which stream organisms could break that material down, reduce treatment costs. And so after 40 years, Steve, is it possible to articulate some of the key impacts of this study both on science and policy or land management? Well in scientific terms almost a hundred scientific papers have been produced over the years so pivotal studies around not only the effects of land use on acidification but recovery from acidification which we're still monitoring. We produced some of the world's first evidence around the extent to which stream warming through climate change affected the abundance of benthic organisms. We were the first to illustrate how the North Atlantic Oscillation also affected stream invertebrate communities. So I think in scientific terms, the fact that this has been such a long-term replicated catchment study with different disciplines involved, physical geography, hydrochemistry, meteorology, climatology, biology, fishery science, all somehow interacting and bringing together their expertise and for me as a researcher over my 40-year career learning from that interdisciplinarity has just been a wonderful experience. And landowners and conservation bodies have drawn from this science as well haven't they? So the other impacts probably 25 PhD students postgraduates have worked here over the years but in terms of influences on policy the fact that this had government funding meant that the data we were producing on acidification directly affected UK, European, United Nations policy on emission controls. The fact that we've worked closely with the forestry bodies, Natural Resources Wales, now in Wales, Forestry Commission, forest research in England and Scotland, meant that we've influenced the way forest management, forest planting has occurred in different locations. We've also, because we've looked at the effects of riparian deciduous woodland, Organisations like the Woodland Trust and the Environment Agency have looked at how riparian woodland management can protect streams against warming, increasing temperatures. Some of the work we're doing now, again through PhD students, is looking at the extent to which land use actually alters the resilience of stream ecosystems to all kinds of global change effects. And that's one of the places we're putting a lot of our emphasis at the moment. Excellent. And you mentioned a moment ago the multidisciplinarity of the work here. 
this has been a huge collaborative effort with many groups, hasn't it? You're presumably open to brand new collaborations going forward and let's hope there's another 40 years and more of this experiment. Well, 40 years will go well beyond my lifespan, uh, (laughs) Ben, but yes, of course, the legacy for the future is a critical part of having 40 years of collected data. We share the data around the world with whoever wants to use those data. We work with scientists in Italy, Germany. We have Anna with us today, who's here from Brazil, who's using some of these data also. And just another part of the value of Briani... While we have our 14 catchments here, we also have what we call the Welsh Acid Water Survey data, which are streams similar to Briani in about 70 locations across the uplands of Wales, and we're assessing the extent to which our Briani studies actually give us a broader index of of changes across the whole of Wales. So those Welsh Acid Water Surveys have been carried out in 1984, 1995, 2012, and we know there is a link between what happens at Briani and what happens across the wider Welsh landscape. So these are genuinely indexed rivers. And can you say something about the immediate future prospects for your research? Well, the immediate prospects are around intensifying what we understand about the effects of climate change on these streams. So we know, for example, for every one degree centigrade rise in winter temperature, the invertebrate abundance in the spring drops by about 20%. And we want to understand what the processes are behind that. We think it's associated with leaf litter, organic matter breakdown, which is such a critical part of the energetics of streams. We have PhD students working now on the resilience dimension and we're even having some thoughts about using the experimental channels here, for example, to look at the potential effects and incorporation of microplastics into food webs. So the fact that we have this kit on site gives us the capacity to accelerate potential global change effects. And the data that we have are shared around the world for a whole range of different purposes, long-term biodiversity reduction, changes in insect numbers are of interest to us. And that leads us into one of the most important things about these long-term studies, doesn't it, Steve, that drivers change over time and providing the resources there, it's available for new angles of research that we'd never even thought of previously. And I think that's one of the lessons that my involvement over 40 years with Flynn Briani, which began as a study of one particular problem, acid rain, we started to think about climate change in 1991 was our first paper on climate change. We then discovered that we had this North Atlantic Oscillation effect, warmer, wetter winters influenced the stream. We didn't anticipate that would come along. We didn't anticipate that the streams would warm by about one and a half degrees centigrade over the duration of the study. We didn't anticipate that resilience would become a key feature of Welsh legislation around the environment. And yet here was Slinbriani primed and ready because of its long-term nature to deliver on all those emerging questions and of course new emerging questions are coming along all the time. And thinking more generally to long-term experiments as a whole not just Slim Briani can you just give us your take on the intrinsic value of long-term ecological field experiments for science and society? We live in a world where long-term monitoring of course is expensive we are seeing organisations like our regulatory agencies having less resource to spend on long-term assessments 
saw the value of these individual long-term studies becomes even more critical as time goes on. They give us the capacity for interdisciplinarity. They give us the capacity for assessing how baselines change. There is this notion in society now of shifting baselines. What we forget we have lost or what has changed as environments do develop, do reflect the interactions that influence the environments through time. The sites we've got, like this, actually give us the capacity to look at changes in ways that no other type of investigation can. Well, thank you very much. Well said, Steve. It's been a pleasure to meet you here today, and thanks for hosting ECT. So, slightly chilly fingers, Ben, as we pack up and get back into the car. We did drive through some ice <laughs> on the way up, but it's been well worthwhile. We did so. indeed. Thank you, Steve.